Counter-missionaries sometimes claim that the New Testament is anti-Semitic, that is, it expresses hostility toward the Jewish people. But is there any truth to this claim? Does the New Testament promote an anti-Jewish message? There are several reasons typically given to support the claim that the New Testament is anti-Jewish. Number one, the New Testament, primarily the Gospel of John, vilifies the Jewish people as a group. Number two, the New Testament depicts Jewish religious leaders, such as the Pharisees, as utterly corrupt and worthy of damnation. Number three, based on Matthew 27, 24-25, the New Testament condemns all Jews for all time as being responsible for the death of Yeshua. Number four, based on 1 Thessalonians 2, 14-16, Paul taught that the Jews displease God and that they are opposed to all mankind and are objects of his wrath. Number five, the New Testament teaches that God is finished with the Jewish people and that Christians have replaced them as the quote-unquote New Israel. Before we unpack each of these arguments, it's first worth pointing out that the New Testament itself is a very Jewish collection of writings. All of the authors of the New Testament, with one possible exception, were Jewish. The New Testament directly quotes the Tanakh, that is the Hebrew Scriptures or Old Testament, approximately 300 times and has over a thousand allusions to the Tanakh. In fact, Throughout the New Testament, the Jewish people are praised. In John 4.22, Yeshua declared, salvation is from the Jews. In Romans 3, 1-2, Paul emphasizes that those who were born Jewish are at a spiritual advantage in every way. In Romans 9, 4-5, Paul honored the Jewish people as those through whom God gave his revelation, the covenants, his Torah, and promises. And the highest honor given to the Jewish people, according to Paul, is being the people through whom God brought the Messiah. In Romans 11:28, Paul emphatically said that the Jewish people were loved by God for the sake of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Romans 15:27, Paul even taught that since the Gentiles share in the spiritual blessings of the Jewish people, that they owed the Jewish believers in Jerusalem aid and material support. In light of the many positive statements expressed in the New Testament about the Jewish people, Messianic Jewish theologian Dr. Michael Brown says this, It is statements such as these that are hated by anti-Semites, since the sentiments expressed here validate the idea that the Jews are chosen by God in a unique way and play a special role in his plan of redemption for humankind as a whole. So how is it possible for the New Testament authors to be anti-Semitic while honoring the Jewish people at the same time? It just doesn't make any sense. Having said all that, what do we make of all these seemingly anti-Jewish statements made in the New Testament? Well, let's go through each of these arguments point by point. Objection number one. The New Testament, primarily the Gospel of John, vilifies the Jewish people as an entire group. Perhaps the biggest reason for this objection is that the Gospel of John seems to express a dichotomy between Yeshua and his disciples and, quote-unquote, the Jews. The two sides are separate and polarized rather than being expressed as part of the same group. 
Therefore, it's argued that Yeshua and the apostles are portrayed by John as the quote-unquote good guys who are greatly opposed to the Jews in general who are the quote-unquote bad guys. First, it's worth noting again that the Gospel of John, which is supposedly hostile towards the Jewish people, also honors the Jewish people by recording how Yeshua said that, quote, salvation is of the Jews in John 4.22. So clearly there's something more going on here. The key to reconciling this apparent conflict is in understanding that the term the Jews is often used in different ways. For instance, sometimes the term could be used of only the inhabitants of Judea. We see this in the Old Testament, for example, when Nehemiah refers to a group group as the Jews in Nehemiah 2.16. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. In this verse, Nehemiah, a Jew himself, is obviously using this term in reference to the inhabitants of Judea, since the priests, nobles, and officials were all Jewish too. According to scholars, this is the same thing we see in the Gospel of John. The author uses the term the Jews in reference to the inhabitants of Judea, specifically the Jewish leadership there that was opposed to Yeshua. Therefore, the negative statements made against the quote-unquote Jews in the Gospel of John are not intended to refer to all Jewish people generally. They applied specifically to certain Judeans, namely the leadership that was hostile to Yeshua in that region. So for instance, when John 7-1 speaks of the quote-unquote Jews wanting to kill Yeshua, this group can properly be understood as Judeans. In fact, several newer English translations of the Bible render the term this way in order to better capture the actual meaning expressed in the verse. Thus, this objection that the Gospel of John vilifies the Jewish people as an entire group simply cannot be sustained when we look at all the evidence honestly. Also, if we're going to say that the New Testament is anti-Semitic based on these passages where God's people are portrayed negatively, how much more should we consider the Tanakh anti-Semitic? On more than one occasion, God himself declared Israel to be a stiff-necked and rebellious people that was worthy of destruction. Yet nobody reads verses like these and says that the Hebrew Bible is somehow anti-Jewish. So why would we say that about the New Testament? The Tanakh speaks of God's love for his people. They are special and chosen by him for a purpose. It also speaks of how his people have been faithless and hypocritical and sinful. The Jewish writings contained in the New Testament are no different. So why do we hold those Jewish writings to a different standard than we hold other Jewish writings like the Tanakh? Objection number two. The New Testament depicts Jewish religious leaders such as the Pharisees as utterly corrupt, hypocritical, and worthy of damnation. Is it true that the New Testament brands all Jewish religious leaders as hypocrites? If so, isn't that an unfair generalization? Surely many pharisaical leaders were sincere and faithful to God to the best of their understanding, right? Yes, if the New Testament branded literally all Pharisees and Jewish leaders as hypocritical sons of the devil, it would certainly be an unfair generalization. But the New Testament doesn't do that. In fact, 
the New Testament has many positive references to Jewish religious leaders. A Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus visited Yeshua and they discussed theology together in John 3. This same Pharisee spoke out on Yeshua's behalf in John 7, 40-52. Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Jewish ruling council, is portrayed as honoring Yeshua by giving him a proper burial in John 19:38. In Luke 13:31, some Pharisees warned Yeshua to leave the area because Herod was out to kill him. In Luke 14.1, Yeshua goes to the house of a ruler of the Pharisees for dinner. It's also worth noting that Paul identified as a Pharisee in Acts 23.6 and 26.5. This was long after he had come to believe in Yeshua as the Messiah. No doubt about it, there are many confrontations between Yeshua and the Pharisees over Torah interpretation and application, and Yeshua did have some strong words of condemnation for the hypocritical and unrighteous religious leaders in his day. But when we take a more holistic approach to the New Testament, it's clear that the authors didn't paint all Jewish religious leaders as evil or hypocritical. And again, even the negative statements against hypocritical religious leaders are perfectly aligned with what we see in the Tanakh. In Ezekiel 34, for example, the Lord rebukes the, quote, shepherds of Israel, that is, the religious leadership that had become corrupt. God has often rebuked and condemned hypocritical leaders of Israel. So it shouldn't shock us to see the same thing in the New Testament. Objection number three, the New Testament condemns all Jews for all time as being responsible for the death of Yeshua. This objection is based on a passage in Matthew 27. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, told a crowd of Jewish people that Yeshua had not committed a crime and therefore should be released. However, the crowd insisted that Yeshua be crucified anyway. And then we get to the verse in question, Matthew 27, 24 through 25. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. It's unfortunately true that anti-Semites throughout history have misused this verse in order to justify violence against Jews. However, it is an abuse of this passage, not the passage itself, which has led to those atrocities. A plain reading of the passage in context is as follows. A mob of people, which was likely incited by certain religious leaders among them, was convinced that Yeshua was indeed a convicted blasphemer according to the Sanhedrin. Pilate found no fault in Yeshua, and so he absolved himself from responsibility for Yeshua's crucifixion. The mob therefore claimed responsibility for their actions in calling for Yeshua's death. The biblical author wasn't putting a curse on all Jewish people for all time. He was merely recording that this mob had taken responsibility for their actions. The reference to their children most likely refers to the physical descendants of those specific people within this mob who had rejected Yeshua and turned him over to the Roman authorities to be killed. And interestingly, 
interestingly, these descendants literally did suffer the consequences of their parents' sin when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. In summary, in no way does Matthew blame the Jewish people as a whole for the death of Yeshua, and in no way does the Bible curse the Jewish people for all generations. Matthew 27, 24-25 is an historical account describing how a mob declared that they took responsibility for the death of Yeshua because they were convinced that he was a convicted blasphemer. Objection number four. Paul taught that Jews displease God and that they are opposed to all mankind and are objects of God's wrath. This objection is based on a passage in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2, 14-16 For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sin. Sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. First, Paul is not saying here that all Jews in general are responsible for killing Yeshua. If that were the case, then he must also be blaming all Jews in general for killing the prophets and driving him out of city after city. But clearly, that's not what he's saying. Paul was writing to encourage the Gentile believers in Thessalonica who were being persecuted by their own countrymen, just like the Jewish believers in Yeshua were being persecuted by their own countrymen. Paul was drawing a comparison between the two persecuted groups. If we were to insist that Paul is condemning all Jews as evil in this passage, then in order to be consistent, we'd also have to insist that he was condemning all Thessalonians as evil. That simply doesn't work. This is not a condemnation of Jews in general, but rather a charge against certain Jews in Judea who were persecuting Jewish followers of Yeshua. Objection number five. The New Testament teaches that God is finished with the Jewish people and that Christians have replaced them as the quote-unquote new Israel. While it's true that there have been many Christians who have actually believed this throughout history, the fact is that the New Testament does not remotely teach that God is done with the Jewish people or that they've been replaced. It teaches just the opposite. First, virtually all of Yeshua's original followers were Jewish. Thousands of Jews came to receive him in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon his disciples on Shavuot, or Pentecost. In Matthew 19.28, when speaking of the end of the age when he would return and rule on earth, Yeshua prophesied that his followers would sit on twelve thrones to judge and lead the twelve tribes of Israel. This, of course, means that all twelve tribes of Israel will be a key part of God's kingdom in the future. Paul never taught that Gentile believers in Yeshua have replaced the Jewish people. On the contrary, he taught that Gentiles have been made fellow citizens along with 
Jewish believers and are included within the commonwealth of Israel. In Romans 11.29, Paul taught that the gifts and calling that God gave to the Jewish people are irrevocable. The Jewish people remain central to God's redemptive plans for mankind according to the New Testament. And in Romans 11.25, Paul taught that one day in the future, all Israel will be saved. That hardly sounds like God is finished with the Jewish people. In conclusion, regardless of whatever else you might believe about the New Testament, it's clear that it is a very pro-Jewish collection of writings. The claim that the New Testament is somehow anti-Jewish is utterly without basis.